Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. Well, we are in the book of John. If you've been Walking with us at all, you've been seeing us move through the book of John, and you've been seeing different parts where Jesus has been communicating with the disciples. And interestingly enough, we're in a portion now where we're really the night before Jesus is put on the cross, right before Good Friday. This is Thursday night, and Jesus has been communicating with the disciples. And as Jesus begins to communicate with the disciples, one of the things he's trying to get into the heart of the disciples is to know that, y'all, I'm leaving. And he's trying to set them up for that departure. And if you were with us last week, you saw in John chapter 15, Jesus started talking about how they would be hated because Jesus was hated. And one of the things we pulled out from that text was that Jesus was going to be hated, not because he fed the 5,000, not because he did all these different miracles and healed people. He was hated because he taught with authority. He did not leave himself room to be an opinion. He was the teacher and he was the Lord. And that's how we understand him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus the teacher, but Jesus is Lord. And now the disciples would be sent out on mission to spread the gospel about this Jesus who would say he's the son of God, but he was homeless. He said he was the son of God, but he dies on a cross. Yes, he raises from the dead, but at the time the disciples aren't aware that he would raise from the dead. So they have some fears about this imagery of being hated. And Jesus is going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. And the way that he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, he's going to talk about how he's an advocate and a an helper. He's going to talk about how he guides us into all truth. And all of those points are very important. But I felt like, and it was funny because I had a whole message about all these different roles of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, one of these things that when you preach, sometimes the Lord is like cuts the, a remix, like, and he's like, you're not going to talk about that, right? And so, and, and I think part of the reason why the Lord switched up what I felt like he wanted me to say is that um, there is a part of the role of the Holy Spirit that is unadvertised, right? Um, there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit that we don't talk about enough, and, and really it's because of the way that we're raised in this culture. Um. <clears throat> Oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the Holy Spirit in a way where um, we think about joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, self-control. And all of that is true. And one of the ways that we talk about the Holy Spirit is we say, do you not have joy? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you not have peace? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you not have patience? Come on, get some Holy Spirit. But the problem is, is that the Holy Spirit is not here singularly for your peace and your joy. Because if you only relegate the work of the Holy Spirit for you, then really you turn the Holy Spirit into a life coach. And where he's here to help you strategize, help you with your goals, get you on your mission. 
But the reality is that the Holy Spirit is not unleashed in your life to help you in your mission. Actually, the Holy Spirit is unleashed in your life when you start operating by way of him. That's submission, that you are now living for God. And so now... The imagery, now that we think about this, that, that Jesus is going to depart and the Spirit is going to come down. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was on mission. Jesus was helping the oppressed. He was helping the marginalized. But he was also calling people out in their sin. That doesn't change by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down. And now the Holy Spirit empowers believers to do the work that Jesus was doing. So we have to get out of this mindset that if I want a better life, I need to become a Christian. Part of it is if I want Jesus, then I'm going to follow Jesus into trials, into heartache. And I'm going to follow him down this Calvary road. And I'm going to communicate the way he did. And not, not necessarily the way and, and the pattern, but with his words. And that's the essence of what it means to walk with God. One of the things that we see, you know, when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, we oftentimes, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we understand it as, uh, well, you know, you see the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and 19, talks about sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, uh, uh, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, all the like. And then when you jump down to verse 22, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit is meant for you to become a credible witness in society. So that people, that you would have an effect on the world. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit isn't your peace. It's that you create peace in the community. The fruit of the Spirit isn't just your joy. It's that you create joy in the community. And the fruit of the Spirit isn't just you being patient with you. It's actually you being patient with people. All of this is your effect on people. It is not your effect on how, how am I feeling today? It's how are people feeling about you? The effect you have on the community. Because if this was just about seeing change, then they wouldn't call it the fruit of the Spirit. They'd call it the leaves of the Spirit. Because we could just see change. But, you, but the fruit is indi indicative of like an orange. You don't just look. You just look at that orange. Would you look at that? How's it look? Orange? I mean, it's just it's beautiful. No, the orange, the only way you know the, the effectiveness of the orange isn't how bright it is. It's how good it tastes. It's when you take the orange and you make orange juice. You see, and, and part of it is we're not asking, do you look like a Christian, but do you have the feel of a Christian? Do you, are you a benefit to your community? Do you change lives? Is there an effect? Are you having an effect on people? That is the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is on mission. That's what you see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Jesus, in promising the Holy Spirit, he says to the disciples, when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Immediately he shows that they are now changing in their vocation because now the Spirit of God has come on you. The power of God has come on you and now you become my witness. You now are evidence that I use to prosecute the world in their sin. You are now evidence that I use to tell the world they're going in the wrong direction. 
You are part of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is on mission. How now you are on mission. And God has called you to have an effect on this world. And the purpose in your life is caught up in operating with the Holy Spirit and being a, a, a useful tool in this world. And we have to understand that, that what I'm going to talk about today is the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. But the word conviction, I'm going to talk about this later, the word conviction is not just a simple word like, oh, I feel bad. Because that's what we say when we say, oh, man, I ate too much last night. I am convicted. I am convicted. I overate. That's not the kind of conviction he's talking about. The word there for conviction is the kind of word that they would use when you're cross-examining a witness. It speaks of proving, of giving evidence, of trying to fight for someone to understand they're going, that, that you're pleading a case. In many ways, what it's indicating is that the Holy Spirit is God's lawyer, not your lawyer. He's not pleading your case. He's pleading God's case to the world. And so in many ways, they think about that. So the, the imagery is that, the, that, that the, the Holy Ghost lawyer is pleading to the world, convincing the world that God is good convincing the world they're going the wrong direction and you are part of the evidence. Your life is part of the evidence. You are on the witness stand for the Holy Ghost and he's supposed to point to you and say, tell the truth. And you are part of the evidence, the work of the Holy Spirit. And the, the key is, is that the world does not want to change. The world does not want to change. This is, this is, this is the, the imagery we have to see when we talk about the world. John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, now here's the key, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So th this is, you say, well, you know, I want to tell people about Jesus because people need to know Jesus. That's true. That's true. People need to know Jesus. And you want them to want Jesus. I want you to want Jesus. But people are in love with their sin. See what it says? They love the darkness. They worship the darkness. And it helps see. And so when you see that you are part of this convincing proof that the Lord is giving, you have to understand what happens when someone gets saved, when someone gets transformed and changed. I was doing an open house this weekend, uh, which is when we do a membership class, and I was explaining the gospel to them. And I was explaining how, um, in many ways, it's a gift given to you. And so I explained how I got on my knee and I asked my wife to marry me. And, and I, you know, the analogy is that I normally give is that you know, when my, I gave my wife that ring, it's not like she paid part of it. Because the minute you pay for something, it ceases to be a gift right? It's a free gift. So I gave my wife the ring, right? And so I'm giving this imagery, like I'm on a knee and I'm like, Hey honey, please marry me. But I told that group, that's actually such an inaccurate picture of the gospel. Like Jesus came to us and say, Hey, do you want to hook up with me? And we were like, okay. <laughs> the gospel is you out on a date with somebody else and y'all are eating shrimp and lobster. And y'all are out like, hey, and y'all doing noses like, who's You crazy. And you're doing all those things that new, new couples do, praise God. And you're doing all that stuff. And Jesus comes over and says, I'm better. And you go, get out of here. And you just keep doing what you're doing. And Jesus pleads his case why he'll be a better husband. That's the gospel. And this is the wild part. You get married and you bring your idols with you. 
Like, like when you hook up with Jesus, it's not like you stop sinning. So it's less a couple. It's more like a thruple, amen. It's like you, you bring your issues with you. And the reality is transforming people's lives. We cannot do it with our words. The Holy Spirit convicts. He pleads a case. And if you got saved, that's what happened to you. You, you didn't just say, you know what? I want Jesus. I'm going to stop sinning. <laughs> okay, okay, sin is so boring. You did not do that. You didn't do that. You, you said, oh, okay, you gave up. You was like arrested. Like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, you're ruining my life, God. Right? And so what we are doing when we are, we're, so we're part of this prosecution. Okay, we're part of this prosecution. And we are telling, and this is what you just have to understand. We are telling the world they're going the wrong way. You ever done that? You ever tell somebody you're going the wrong way? Here's the directions. Go this way, and then you're going to go around the block, and then, and then they go the route. And you just run. You're going the wrong way. The world is going the wrong way. They're going the broad way, and we are on the narrow way. And that way leads to destruction. That, that way leads to eternal separation from God. And like a good lawyer, the Holy Spirit is pleading a case to people's hearts, giving evidence, and you should be a good witness. Because when you are on your job, you're on the witness stand. Your integrity on your job is on the witness stand. Who you are in your family is on the witness stand. Who you are with your friends, you're on the witness stand. And are you a good witness? Are you a good witness for Jesus? Or is it just about you? Or is it just about your joy, your peace, your life? Or do you see where you are as a case for the Holy Spirit? I want to make a good case for the Holy Ghost today. I want to make a good case. I want to be good, good, good evidence. And so the, the effect that we have on the culture is what this text is about. Remember, Jesus, in context, is saying you'll be hated. Why is he saying you'll be hated? Because Not because we are just beating people down with the word of God. Whenever you try to get someone to change lovers, it will always be a threat to you. You ever tell, try to tell somebody that they're with somebody bad and they start getting mad at you? You ever have that happen? You'd be like, he don't even like you no more. He don't, he don't like you. I've seen him on Instagram with somebody. He don't like you. And they're like, see, you don't even want what's right for me. And you're like, no, that's, you don't get it. You don't get it. Right? You're pleading with someone. The world is in love with sin. And the Holy Spirit is pleading with them. And he wants to use you. The imagery here is in John 16 and 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I want to just take some time to unpack, again, that word convict. But before that, one of the ways that I think this can get erroneously understood when you read it, it is exclusively, Jesus before this talks about how he's going to leave, right? And then he talks about how the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming, he says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And one of the ways that we can erroneously teach this is that this is just something the Holy Spirit is just going to mysteriously do in the world. But the, re the reality of this text is, 
this is the whole, the way that the world would be convicted is through us, through the church. So we can't look at this text like we're on the sidelines, like we're looking at this game and we're in the sidelines and the Holy Spirit is on the mission field and we see him convicting the world of its sin. No, he uses the church and he uses God's people. And this word convict essentially means to prosecute, not just to feel bad about. It means that we give this evidence of what sin and judgment is. The world, as I talked about last week, the word world there isn't just talking about people, but it's talking about the system. The word there is cosmos, and it essentially means that there is a system of sin that is going daily towards a different direction. It is off course. And this cosmos, this system that continually goes off course, we are called by God to say they're going in the wrong direction. And we give this proof. We give this evidence. So the Holy Spirit comes and it tells the world there's a different way. It tells the world, it prosecutes the world that they're off. This indicates that a key part of the ministry of the church is a prophetic ministry. When we say prophetic, we don't mean like telling the future. We mean that if it's in the text, then it's part of our voice to the world. We tell the world this is the standard of God. We tell the world how children should be treated. We tell the world how minorities should be treated. We tell the world what marriage looks like. We tell the world, and we tell the world with our lips and with our lives, and the world gets convicted by our lives and lifestyle. This, this, this power, this prophetic ministry, it unravels the worldly system. It unravels the worldly system, and every, every system can be broken, but it has to have a change agent. And so we come in with our lives, with our words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we break yokes and we break systems in our neighborhood, in our apartment, in our schools. We break the yoke of systems that we're around. And so, you're, you're, it's, am I, it's, it's so I love the imagery there because it's saying the Holy Spirit is going to do it, but he's going to use you. And he's going to use you to break yokes in your family. Some of you have families where there's systems of sin. There's systems, there's, there, there's generational systems that have been broken, and, and he has called you to be the prophet of your family. He's called you to be the prophet. Not, and I'm not talking about I like Isaiah, where you got to go in there and wild out. I'm just saying your, your life, your life, when, you're, when your family steps on the scene, and when you buy your house, and when you live your legacy amongst them, but you say, God gave it to me, you are changing the system. You're changing the, you're, you're completely setting the system off course. The system is set up to destroy you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that you might have life and life more abundantly. That's the abundant life. You see, you see, that's the Holy Spirit life is a life overflowing into other people, overflowing into neighborhoods, overflowing into community, overflowing into your family. So you've got to get rid of this, this little light of mind imagery. And you've got it, you've got it, you're more like the prophets in the Bible than you are just this, oh, I, I'm just a Christian. There's no such thing as just a Christian. That's religious. That's religion talk. Because if the third person of the Trinity lives inside of me, 
then I have the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within me. That's the power that broke the yoke of death so that it definitely can break the yoke of divorce in my family. It definitely can break the yoke of financial, financial poverty in my family. It definitely can break the yoke of, of hate in my family. It, it definitely can break the yokes in my neighborhood. If he, can, if he rose from the dead, you know, I was, I was counseling a couple once, and they were like, we don't know what we're going to do. I was like, what's wrong? They're like, it's over for us. And I was like, why? They were like, I mean, this marriage is dead. And I was like, are y'all Christians? They're like, yeah. I was like, so you believe Jesus rose from the dead? They're like, yeah. So do you believe if Jesus Christ can rise from the dead, you don't think he can awaken your dead marriage? He, he rearranges systems. He convicts, and he convicts the world of sin. And, and so I do want to note that there is a re, there's a two-tone reality of this because it's, it's, it's not all prophetic. There is a personal side. I do want to mention that. In Revelation 3.19, the Bible says, to those whom I love, I reprove. It's the same word in the Greek. I convict. Okay? I convict, I discipline, so be zealous and repent. So, so just understand that part of, before, before we convict the world, we need to be convicted personally. Amen. Amen. You got to have some personal conviction. And this, is, this to me is some of the greatest evidence I see. When you see people who are doing dirt, I mean, dirt, dirt. And they send, and they come and they talk about it. And there's just, oh, yeah, I did it. And it's just like, oh, I'm scared for you. Because if you have no conviction, you might not have that person. Because part of his role is he convicts. You say, I have no, you say, I got more joy. Okay. Do you have conviction? Because if you have all joy, like if you have all the good parts of the Holy Spirit and you have none of the conviction parts, then that just might be a good day. You might have just had a good day. You might be having a great year. You might, just be, you, might be, you might just be happy. But that may not be Holy Ghost joy. Because the Spirit of God is not trying to get you a better life. He's getting you, trying to get you more like Christ. And so personal conviction. So look, look, again, the imagery is to whom I love, I reprove. To whom I love, I convict. Why? Because you're going the wrong way. You know when you said that the other day? That was the wrong way. Okay, here's another way. You feel convicted. You sat up. You thought about it like, I shouldn't have done that. That was the Holy Ghost trying to get you the right way. I have found in my life one of the, one of the things that I hate to admit. I hate to admit this. But the book of James is right. When he says, consider it joy when you enter into trials. I, I hate that verse. I really do. Because the Bible is like, when you, when you are entering a trial, that means you're being more sanctified. God's going to be more glorified in your life. You're getting closer to the heart of Jesus when you enter into a trial. So he's like, consider it joy. I'm like, dang. And I hate to admit it, but it's true. I've become more of a gentle man of God because I got beat down <laughs> with trials. And, and so the, the reality is, is that part of him reproving you, it's making you more like Christ. And so that, so first, it is important to note that the first work of the Holy Ghost is to convict you personally and privately. But the secondary work that he does is he uses you to convict the world. So, so again, that text says, when he comes, he will convict the world. Notice he doesn't say the world 
to be saved. It's just flat out. The world should be convinced and see proof and evidence that God is good and he uses the Holy Spirit to do that. And so Paul, um, John then writes here that concerning sin, he, he expounds on it in verse 9. He says, because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of, the, of this world is judged. Now, when he says concerning sin, we understand sin as missing the mark. Oftentimes, we understand the, the word sin in a very corrective dynamic, as in sin is here to punish you. You're, you're being punished because of sin. And yes, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. But one of the things that I want to bring back in the imagery of um, like, you know, someone out at dinner and they're with their lover and Jesus comes and interrupts their love fest, their connection. We love our sin because it's good to us. You'd stop sinning if it wasn't fun. You would, you'd be the most pure, holy, ghost, holy, holy person if sin wasn't good to you, right? It just comes with shame and guilt, doesn't it? Right? If it didn't have that shame and guilt as a receipt, you'd, you'd listen. So it's, it's a reality that, that sin is fun. Sin is good. You just got to, you just got to, you don't have to, you don't, don't even nod your head. Just sin is good. Sin is good. And then some of y'all are like, <laughs> I see, I see y'all. Y'all it's, it's okay. You know, it's dope. Okay. It's really good. Sin is like great. Sin is so awesome. But Jesus, but Jesus is better. See, that's, that's the gospel. Sin. Oh man. Sin. Oh, I was sinning. <laughs> I know some sin. You, Cause you remember that night. You remember that night when you were just thinking about sinning and sin, sin was on the radio and sin, sin was on ice in the back and sin, you went and sinned and you went back and sinned and it was better, but you got saved because Jesus was better. Part of what we do poorly in the church is convicting slash convincing people that Jesus is good is not by beating them up. It's by offering them the better life in Jesus. A, a verse um, I was meditating on this week, I'll just read it to you. Psalm 67, such a great psalm. Write that down, Psalm 67, a great psalm. It's, it's an incredible psalm that merges mission and worship. And it says in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. And he says, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You know what the imagery there is saying is that, man, I want people to feel the gladness and the joy of God. Let the nations be glad. Let my neighborhood be glad. He's saying gladness is found in God. That joy is found with God. I want you, no, no, no. I know what you smoke on. I know that hanging out with that, 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 those folks, I know that when you sleep with somebody, I know it probably feels good, but can you imagine a God that knows joy better than weed? Can you imagine a God that knows joy better than sex? Can you imagine a God that created those things, but he says there's a better way in Jesus? So the imagery in Psalm 67 is, no, I want you to have more joy. 
I want you to have more gladness. I want you to have a fuller life in Christ. No, I'm not, we're, we're not killjoys. We got more joy. See, that's the beauty of, and, and we convince the world of, the, of their sin. And I, and I think that is part of the horrible nature of the way that the church has been politicized, that we've taken this top-down approach to society where we want to get everybody to, even if they're not Christian, but to love Christian things and to love a, and Christian morality. No, no. Why would anybody want to do Christian morality when they can live their own way? No, the fact of the matter is we should have postures of servants. We, we convince people of their sin, not by beating them up about sin, but by bringing up the beauty of Jesus, by showing them the joy in God. Can you imagine a city singing to God? Can you imagine your neighborhood singing to God? Can you imagine your neighbor singing to God? Have you ever just sat in worship sometimes and you just feel that, that movement, that moment, that stillness with God? That there's a connection that you're having with Jesus that's so intimate, so private. There's nothing like it. You've been in the world. There's nothing like it. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've smoked and listened to Erica Badu and been like, hmm, and been all cool. That's not like worship. Worship's so much better. It's so much better. And you can try. I'm telling you, you could try all those different things. It's not better than the Lord. And imagine this city worshiping God. And, and the psalmist says, that's where real joy is found. That's where true gladness is found. It's not, it's not. And everything else is off course. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you as evidence. He wants to use your life as proof that there's a better way. He not only says this in terms of sin, but he says also of righteousness. And it's interesting here when it talks about righteousness, because here in the text, it says concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will see me no more. Jesus then centers himself as a righteous example. And he says, because I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit will now have to convince the world of righteousness. But what's interesting is that this word here can also be translated as justice. That I was a just person. And that when I gave a judgment, people knew it came from a pure heart. And that the imagery he says here is that the Holy Spirit is here now to convict the world of injustice and show the way of justice. And then when the corollary to that is then that the church should be a communicator. A, a, we should prolifically and in a profound way communicate the heart of justice by way of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, Acts 16, if you read the story, um, Paul is imprisoned. And when he is imprisoned, he's thrown into jail and he ends up singing, and the, the, the jail flies open, and he ends up, you know, leaving, and the jailer is all afraid, but then the jailer gets saved, and it's an incredible story. Acts 16, you should definitely read it sometime. Well, he's free, but the, the magistrates and the leaders, they're like, oh man, Paul got free because of like some earthquake? Oh. And so they, so they just say, okay, well, let's, let's just let him go, three, go free. But Paul was erroneously jailed. He was, he was jailed unjustly. So what Paul does is in Acts 16, in verse 36, it says, And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So it's like you, you, you were free, but now you're free-free. Like, you can go. Go ahead. Don't worry about it, Paul. 
And this is what Paul says. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, meaning me, I'm a Ro- I didn't do anything wrong, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Now you want to be quiet about it. He says, he says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. And what he was saying is, I am going to hold you accountable for an unjust system. You want to have a private crime? Well, we're going to do private, we're going to do public justice. And we're going to tell everybody that you did the wrong thing by throwing me into prison. You see, what Paul is essentially saying is, by way of the Holy Spirit, I just don't want to be free. I want to break systems that imprison people. In the same way, that's us. We don't just allow for systems that are broken. We hold the world. We hold prison systems. We hold injustice accountable to the justice of God. This is the imagery that he gives. And lastly, he he says judgment. Judgment in this, that um, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We know that Jesus... Jesus was judged. He was put in an unjust court system. He was judged. And in being judged, he was put between Pilate and he was was thrown all throughout the Roman court system. And in so doing, it looked like they had won. And when Jesus not only rises from the dead, but he walks around for 40 days, Jesus unhinges the judge and the justice system of that time. He was not judged. At that time, he was judging the world. And saints, there's no way around this. If you were to walk out to the street right now and you were to ask people about their eternal life, I guarantee you, people will construct a reality where it's always to their benefit because they see judgment like a grandfather. They see judgment in line of, I've been a good person, I've lived a good life, I've done good things. And judgment is always to their benefit. And the judgment that Jesus does is not based on rightness and wrongness. The judgment of Christ is based on your belief in him. That's what he flips on. It says, you had me in a courtroom judging me. But in reality, I judge the world. And the judgment of God is, are your sins taken care of on the cross? Have your sins been forgiven? And this judgment that he upholds is one in which We are used as convincing proof to tell the world we have been changed. We know that the judgment of God was placed on our lives through the work of Jesus, that all the judgment, this word propitiation, all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And we live like people that had the judgment laid on him. We live as people set free. We live as people that tell the world the judgment has come and it's fallen on Jesus. And your day is today. Today, you can have your sins paid for 
by the work of Jesus. We live our lives in such a way where we live with that freedom of knowing that. But we also live our lives in communicating that to the world. Friends, we, one of the things that we as a church love to be is a church that feels relatable. When you walked in, we probably didn't hug you because of COVID, but we gave you a good smile with our eyes, right? We just gave you that look like, I love you with my, with my iris. You felt it. We feel connected. But I want to bring this back full circle. Jesus said right before this, the world is going to hate you because of my words. And this last part, this is the part they hate the most when we talk about judgment. When we start talking about heaven and hell, when we start talking about eternity, and eternity is already placed in the hearts of people on the street. They already feel like eternity is for them. They already feel like eternal life is set. They've got a course already there. And they're already convinced my life has been good enough. And Jesus rearranges that with the judgment. And he says, no life is good enough. Only my life was righteous enough. And he dies on the cross for us. And lives a life we could not live. And he dies a death we could not die. And when you look at the full weight of what the Holy Spirit does, sin, justice, judgment, our words are not profound enough. The Holy Spirit has to do that in people's lives. And we hold the world accountable. We hold the world accountable to this incredible message. We hold the world accountable. Don't you see? You're on the witness stand for Jesus. You have a prophetic ministry to tell the world. Don't just live a private Christian life. Don't just live with this little light of mine. Tell the world that Jesus is good with your life and with your lips. Live in such a way that it's profound. We tell the world they're off course with sin with justice, with judgment? And do we really think the world is going to hold itself accountable? When we have something happen with the police, the police do an internal investigation, and then we say, well, we, we can't trust the police, so we'll have the media. And then the media comes and says, well, we'll do it. And then we, do we really think the media is pure, praise God? No. And then the politicians come and they say, well, we'll, we'll, we, we can't trust the media. And, and all around, you've got money in there, and you've got ego. And, and, you, and that's what you see all day is you see, you see big systems trying to hold them all, hold them uh, accountable. And we know they're impure. And the church is supposed to be this pure pay, place of accountability where people could actually trust our voice, that we don't have people lining our pockets that we would say something just so that we could have our voice in Congress. We have such an opportunity, and I pray that today you would live a life filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would use you as a witness. He'd use you as convincing proof that God is good and that Jesus is alive. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We ask you even now, Lord, we ask you even now, change us, oh God. Change us. Make us
more like you. In terms of sin, justice, judgment. Use the Holy Spirit to communicate you to the world. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.